You are listening to audio from The Creek Church. If you would like more information about The Creek, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. So none of y'all last week put in a bid for the silent auction for my beautiful artwork. So feelings are were hurt, but I'm all right this week. I'm good. But I want to introduce you to my new friend. Um, his name is, we'll call him Spiritual Steve. This is Spiritual Steve with us today. And uh, we opened the series with Spiritual Steve last week, kind of talking about how we grow spiritually and where we kind of get wrapped up because we start this relationship with God and we all have a desire to grow. And we all have a desire to get closer to God, to understand more about what God wants for our life, what he wants to do in us, what he wants to do through us. And uh, so we kind of get a little confused sometimes about how we really focus on our spiritual growth. Um, a lot of us uh, think that, that it's all in the mind. Our context and culture where we live just in the world says that the way we grow spiritually is to know more about God, to study more, read your Bible more, memorize more, do these things. And so we kind of kind of approach uh, our faith and approach Jesus, approach Christianity, all through an intellect and through our head. Um, then there's also the heart, and the heart uh, is kind of where we do, do the emotional side of faith. That's, that's where I'm led by. I'm a heart guy. Um, Jesus got my heart, then I had to figure out what I had fallen in love with. And then... Um, and so when we think about growing spiritually through our heart, we think of worship and prayer and getting in and kind of experiencing the, the things of God. And then, then some feel that the way we grow spiritually is by the hand, by serving and doing, that when you, you're out and you're serving, you feel more spiritual, you feel more of a connection with God. And, and so you tend to think I grow spiritually when I'm doing something. And so when we just pick one of those, we're only one third right in how we grow spiritually. And most of us stagnate in our spiritual growth because we just focus on one of those areas. And we wonder why we're not growing and we wonder why God's not really showing us anything or why nothing's really happening. And so what I want to do in this series is to help us understand that, that we're called to engage with a whole body response. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 12, he said, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So he's saying, present your whole body, everything about you, not just your hand, not just your heart, not just your head, but your whole body, everything you are. Say, here it is, God, I'm a, I'm a living sacrifice. I'm laying myself down for you to do your life in me. You have you have a better life for me. You have a promise for me. You have a hope and a future. You have plans for me. And God, I'm, I'm putting all my, my desires aside and laying everything. I'm all in for you, Jesus. He said, that's your spiritual worship. And so, so we, we start to think this through and we begin to process this, that when we engage with a whole body response with the gospel, it's our head, it's our heart, it's our hand, then we, we begin to kind of move in a way that God can direct us and, and he guides the whole process. And if you've got your Bibles, I want to look at a man today named the name Paul. Um, we started looking at him last week, but Acts chapter 16 is where we're going to be. And if you don't have a Bible, we keep some on the tables or the cabinets in the back for you. If you don't own one, that's a gift for you today. And um, I want to look at Paul. We're kind of looking at him all throughout this series because uh, he, he's, he's an interesting man. He, he is used by God who wrote most of the New Testament that we study. He planted churches in the first century. He was radically transformed by Jesus. 
He was anti-God. He was totally against what Jesus stood for, and he felt his spiritual duty. He was very religious, but he missed a relationship with Jesus. And by his religious nature, he felt his duty or his responsibility was to rid the world of those that followed the way. They weren't called Christians yet, but those that followed the way. And so he's on his way to a city called Damascus to be able to arrest Christians and bring them back into persecution. And Jesus shows up, radically transforms them. Now, Paul was a brilliant man. He knew all of the Old Testament. When you think of somebody who knows the word of God, Paul could memorize. He had it memorized and could quote you the entire Old Testament law. Not only that, he could have very intelligent conversations about what they were. He was trained by the best. He said, I knew it. He was a brilliant man. But God changes him in that moment. He changes how he thinks about Jesus. He engages his heart towards Jesus. And he begins immediately proclaiming that Jesus is the son of God. He is who he says he is. He, is, he was sent by God to be our sacrifice, to, to pay for our sin, and to open us, us, open us into this life. And what he begins to really preach about is like, look, by the law, I could tell you every letter of the law. But when Jesus opened my eyes and my heart and my mind to grace, it changed everything. And he devotes his life to this message of the gospel, this mission of God. And we pick him up not long after his transformation in Acts chapter 16. And, and Paul has a desire uh, to go uh, and preach the gospel. He gets out, he's doing it, it's verse six. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to him. So, so Paul, what you see in Paul and what you're going to see through this passage that we're going to study is that Paul had miles and miles of heart. Paul was a brilliant man, but his heart was engaged with the gospel. Let me show you this on a map. You'll see where they're at. In the upper right, they're, they're in an area called Galatia. And, and they were looking at Asia, and that's where Paul's heart was set to go preach the gospel. And the Holy Spirit restrained Paul from going to preach the gospel there. Now, the best way I can articulate this to you is when Heather and I were praying about planting a church, we didn't know where we were going to plant a church. We just knew that's what God had called us to do. So we prayed for two things when we would go into a city. We prayed for the peace of God. If it's your will for us to be here, God, give us an absolute peace about it. If it's not, give us a restraint. Make it clear to us that you're restraining us from going in the city. Now, at the top of my list that I wanted to plant a church was this awesome town called Fairhope, Alabama. Because the people on the coast need Jesus, right? And I needed to do some fishing. You know, I was like... This is a win-win. I mean, this, it, God, I believe this is your will. And so we get in this town. I fall in love with the town. I fall in love with the idea of living in the town. I mean, Heather's over there like looking at me like you do what? So, so remember, we prayed for the restraint or the peace. Well, we got into an argument in the middle of the city. Now, I don't know that the peace of God is going to come through an argument, but I was like, baby, this is where we're supposed to be. She goes, Matt, I'm just not feeling it. I was like, how can you not be feeling this? 
I mean, look around. You can smell the salt water. I mean, you can feel the sand. It's, how, can, how can you miss the will of God in this baby? And then she thought, I'm just, I was like, listen, I am the man. I am the spiritual leader. And, and, and this is where God is calling us. She said, you ain't going anywhere without me. And before I said anything else, the Holy Spirit shut my mouth. But I realized, man, okay, that's not the peace of God. That's the restraint. God did not want us in that town. And God did not want Paul going to Asia. He eventually got to go preach in Asia. In, in Acts chapter 19, it says that, that many people throughout the entire country of Asia became believers. So God had the timing under his time. But he wanted Paul to go to Macedonia, and he sends this vision to go. And you see where, on the map where they go, miles and miles to be able to preach the gospel. And, and so a lot of us, when Paul wrote that we're supposed to be Living sacrifices, and that's our spiritual worship. He said that then when the, our mind's renewed, we'll be able to discern and test the will of God. And we get in this thing, what's the will of God? We reduce it to what's my job? What, well, God, what's the will for my life? And most of us, when we pray for God's will, let's get, let's get honest about our prayer. What we're really saying is, God, where do you want me to work? And God says, look, my will for your life goes way beyond a short season of when you'll be at a job. And we really overcomplicate the will of God. Let, let, me, let me simplify the will of God for you. It is for every one of us to be saved and set in a relationship, set in a family, set free, and set in motion. He desires every one of us to be saved by the grace that Jesus poured out on the cross by his blood. He desires every one of us to preach this gospel, to live this message, and to let others see it. I mean, every one of us, if you are a Christian, you have a call on your life to preach the word of God. And preach just means this, to proclaim the word of God. Every way that you live your life should proclaim the word of God. And, and Paul's engaging in this mission. You and I are called to engage in this mission. The, the, the challenge is a lot of us think that, that we are, um, that our call to preach is gonna be in a room like this. And most of us can't do that because ranked among the highest fears of humans is the fear of public speaking. I mean, you get up here and wet yourself. I'm wearing Depends right now. <laughs> I'm scared. But look at how Paul preaches the gospel. So they go over and it says, so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. So they go to Philippi, Macedonia. We remained in the city some days, and on the Sabbath, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. So seller of purple goods tells us something about, about Lydia. She, she's got some power. She's, she's a strong woman. She's a business owner. And she deals in high-end business. So purple fabric, purple was the most expensive dye, so she's dealing in high-fashion merchandise. Ladies, she's a Maxinista, okay? Guys, I don't know how I know that. I really don't. <laughs> I, the, the commercials just come on, and it's by osmosis. I, I don't get it. If you don't know what a Max and East is, then you've got a pretty good-looking bank account. Um, I love you. <laughs> I'm going to preach over here for a minute. 
the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you've judged me to be faithful with the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. I mean, she got her way. And so what I love about this, you see this cycle, this whole body response to the gospel. The, the, Paul, God uh, gets his heart. He transforms his mind. He renews it. Paul begins engaging in the mission of the gospel. He goes out. He's not preaching to a giant crowd. He shows up in Philippi. They meet Lydia. They start talking about God, preaching the gospel. God opens Lydia's heart to be able to pay attention to the things that Paul was saying. And then she engaged with the hand. She says, come to my house. I wanna serve you. And it wasn't just Paul. We know on this trip, there was Paul, there was Silas, there was Timothy, the, uh, Luke, who wrote the gospel of Acts. He was on this journey. She says, come to my house. I wanna serve you. So we see Paul's whole body response to the will and the work and the mission of God. Then Lydia comes on board and she says, look, God's changed my heart. He's opened my mind and now I wanna serve. I wanna engage in this. And so one person gets saved and then, then, then it all breaks loose. But what I love about this is that we see this engagement and, and Here's the thing, when I talk about a whole body response, no matter where you get on the train, it's gotta make the circuit. I'm a heart first guy, which means I gotta work at the study. But as a heart first guy, it's easier for me to go serve than it is for me to go study. And my oldest daughter, she's, she's a head first thinker. It, it was a challenge to kind of, lead her to, to in faith because she said, I just don't get it. And I said, baby, just, just, it's Jesus. You just fall in love, man. Just look what he's done. I mean, look at who he is. Look at the goodness of God. And, and it stirs my heart. And she's like, I just don't get it. But then God opens her mind and it begins to make sense. She's approaching faith from an intellect. I approach it from an emotion. Let me give a caution to those of you who are heart first people. We tend to be led by emotion. And emotions can change. Our emotions can deceive us very quickly. Even us men. Now men, we like to say, I'm not an emotional guy. Just video yourself watching a game this afternoon. I mean, I will go from happy, one interception, to sad, or one uh, angry. <laughs> I'd be like, somebody needs to be fired. I mean, okay, so I got to say this. If there's any Arkansas fans in the house, I, I, I love you. I'm sorry, but I got to go there today because you, you want to see the miracles and the work of God. I mean, Arkansas paid UNT a million dollars to play them at their home stadium, and they got whipped yesterday. <laughs> You don't believe there's a God? You, man, the logic says there's got to be a God for UNT to beat Arkansas. I'm just, I, if you're an Arkansas fan, I'm sorry. I know your pride is in the sewer today, but man, it, it's just, it preaches, okay? But I would love to watch an Arkansas fan watching that game yesterday because you talk about emotional swing. You know, any, any game, see, see we, we're emotions, we're made with emotions and emotions are our most shallow part because they can bounce all over the place. The danger is, is we want God to do his deepest work in our, our emotions. Our emotions are the shallowest part. God says, I will not do my deepest work in your shallowest part. 
The other caution I want to give you if you're a heart first person is this. We tend to chase the goosebumps. We tend to chase the emotion of, of, of Jesus. Like, I want to feel it. I want to feel it. Like in worship time, man, you know, I mean, just when, when the band is going, I mean, I'm just, I feel that, you know, and just boom, there's goosebumps. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, there's tingling. I feel the presence of God in this place. This morning, one of our men was telling me before the first service, just a miraculous story of God's healing in his, in his body. He said, when I went back to the hospital and the nurse did a double take and she said, I got to get somebody else to look at this, but you've been healed. He's telling me that I got goosebumps. I'm like, oh man, praise the Lord. I'm feeling the presence of God now. And so, but we, you know, we, we just chase that emotion. But the danger is this, if, it's, if, if we don't let the gospel and our response to faith and response to Jesus move beyond emotion, then we will suffer when we face a bad day. If our faith is only standing on goosebumps, then when the storms of life come, and they will come, our faith will be rocked. Because we can't just feel it all the time. We've got to know that the Lord is good. We've got to know that God has a plan for us. We've got to know the truth of the word of God that says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Even when you don't feel the goosebumps, even when your emotions aren't going uh, and pinging at 100 miles an hour, you got to reconcile in your mind that's been renewed that I am still with you. When you face the darkest nights of your soul and you feel terrible, you've got to know that I'm with you. That's the danger about, about us heart-first people. So, so how, do we, how do we grow? How do we grow? Because heart-first people, we gotta continue to grow. Head-first and hand-first, how do we grow the heart? How do we engage this heart side of our spiritual growth? And look, looking at Paul, I mean, I mean we, we, we see Paul and he preaches the gospel to Lydia. That's an emotional thing. When you see somebody's life changed, it does something to you. And Paul's gotta be riding some emotional high here. And then all of a sudden, it happens this way. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. So now the devil shows up. This woman's got a demon and, and, and there's people that are profiting off of this woman's uh, demonic possession because she's telling the fortunes of people. And then it goes on, she's following Paul and us, crying out, Luke's writing this, he's like, she's behind us going, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation, what they're saying. They know Jesus. They'll, they know the future better than I do. And so I love what this says. It says, and this, she kept doing this for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, it would not take me many days to become greatly annoyed. It would take that demon, that spirit, that one time. You yell behind me one time, I'm going to be annoyed with you. Paul is a patient man. So for days, and then all of a sudden, he gets annoyed. He turns around and says, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore off the garments and gave orders 
to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet into stocks. Okay, so this trip is not going to help all planned. Many of us think, hey, I said yes to you, God. It should be easy. What Paul is learning here is sacrifice. If we're going to grow in, 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 this, in this heart side of us, we've, we've got to learn. We've got to grow in our area of sacrifice. Paul says you're a living sacrifice. It means we take our will, our wants, our desires, and we place those on the altar and say, God, you can have all of those. I'm sacrificing all of that for you. I'm laying it on this altar so you can do something in my life and through my life that's greater than I can ask you for or I can imagine. But Paul is realizing sacrifice in this moment. He's like, I sacrificed going to Asia for this? Let let, let me help you. Even if Lydia is the only one in Philippi that got saved, the sacrifice is worth it. Paul learned sacrifice for Jesus, learned sacrifice for the gospel. And as he's sitting in those stocks and chains in the inner prison, going, this ain't how I planned this trip. He starts reconciling. Well, I, I did this because I love Jesus. I love people, and I want to see people's lives transformed by Jesus. See, sacrifice comes from the heart. It comes from a heart that's in love. And love will lead us to do some things that don't make sense. Sacrifice, a lot of times, does not make sense here because it comes from here. Our city is mourning the death of one of our police officers. And our police officers and our first responders and our military, no sacrifice. They take an oath that says, I am willing to put my life down on the line for a stranger. Not because it makes sense. It's because there's a calling that comes from my heart. And you and I can sleep safe at night because there are men and women who know sacrifice. When you see military, when you see a first responder, thank them because they know sacrifice. Their families know sacrifice. They never know when they leave in the morning when their end of watch is gonna happen. The sacrifice comes from the heart and a lot of times doesn't make sense. Just look at the cross. Paul wrote this about the cross. He says in 1 Corinthians, he said, the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. The cross will never make sense here because you've got to understand the sacrifice came from here. Why would God send his only son to die for us? Because he so loved us. Because his heart was so drawn to us. Why do we sacrifice for things of God? Why do we sacrifice money? Why do we sacrifice time? Why are we gonna sacrifice so much time on September 30th to go out and help strangers? Because we love them. Because God has so transformed our heart that we're willing to sacrifice our time, our money. A Sunday morning, instead of sitting in here doing church in rows, to do church in the streets because we love. And Paul is learning sacrifice. Think about the things you sacrifice for. You do it because you love them. Moms, dads, you sacrifice a lot for your kids because you love them. 
do you love strangers enough to sacrifice for them? We also see Paul do something pretty incredible. We see Paul learning sacrifice, but we see Paul worshiping. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. The chains were broken. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, don't harm yourself, we're all here. I love this. So if we're gonna grow in the heart, we've gotta learn to worship. And I don't mean learning to worship, I mean learning directed worship, rightly directed worship. Because we're all worshiping all the time. Just what has our attention and what has our affection? Do we worship ourselves? Do we worship our kids? Do we worship our job? Do we worship the shows that we're gonna watch? What do we worship? What is set up itself as ultimate in our life? And I love that Paul and Silas are worshiping. They're singing hymns and praying. I don't know what song they were singing. Maybe last night when I got in my truck to go home after preaching this, this song came on. There's a contemporary worship song that goes, there's power in the name of Jesus. And then that one part, to break every chain. I was thinking, I wonder if that was like tagline, Paul and Silas in the prison in Philippi. You know, they wrote that song there. Like, you know, Jesus, you break the chains. I don't know what they were singing. I don't know what they were praying, but here's what I know. I love that Paul was doing that because Paul's a thinker. We don't read that about midnight. Paul was quoting scripture to Silas. About midnight, Paul was quoting back to Silas the the exodus of the nation of Israel. Now, Silas, well, you know, in Exodus, you know, God parted the waters and he can part these jail cells. You know, Silas, when you think about the word of God, no, no, he's like, look, I know that God is my redeemer. I know that God brings freedom. I know that my freedom only comes through Christ. I gotta experience it. I know that in the darkest moments, of my sacrifice, and when life is hard, God is still good, but I gotta feel it. I gotta sing, Silas. I gotta tell God that I love him. I gotta talk to God. I don't wanna regurgitate his word right now. I know his word in my mind, and his word is hidden in my heart that I might not sin against God, but I gotta worship. I gotta bring a sacrifice of praise into this court with thanksgiving in my heart. God, you're good, and I feel it. The presence of God is working in this place, and the God shows up in an earthquake and breaks the chains. I know Paul wasn't worshiping freedom because he was worshiping Jesus because freedom only comes through Jesus. I know Paul, it was just incredible. I can't imagine the power and the presence of God in that moment. As a heart first person, I'm like, I wish I would have been there with him. Like, you know, a good friend will bail you out of jail. Your best friend is sitting next to you in there, right? I'm like, man, Paul, that would have been awesome to hang out in there. <laughs> I'm glad you got the faith, buddy, because I got the chains. But he's worshiping. Man, can you worship God in the darkest moments of your life? I'm not saying that somebody just tells you you're more than a conqueror. I'm not saying to get your mind around that Jesus, yeah, Jesus loves you even when it's tough. But man, feel it. I'm not talking about the goosebumps moments. I'm talking about that, that just solid feeling of love. That solid feeling where Jesus says, I've got you. 
where you feel the presence of God and it drives you to worship. Your hands go up and your heart's just abandoned like, Jesus, I'm here and you're here. That's all we need. And see, when, when we experience sacrificial worship as a living sacrifice, as our spiritual worship, then sacrificial worship is going to change how we love God. We're going to grow in how we love God, but it's going to affect how we engage the world around us. We will begin to see people the way Jesus sees us. We will begin to engage the world knowing God, being in love with God, and then serving the world around us. That whole thing changes. That my worship is, is rightly directed. And then I engage the world differently. I mean, Jesus, Jesus said, you, the world will know that you're my disciples by how you love one another. The greatest commandment, Jesus said, is to love the Lord your God with everything you are. And so when we think about engaging the world, our heart's gotta be in it. Look, look, look at this. Paul yells out, don't hurt yourself, we're here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas, then brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them and rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed God. Ah, so Paul, head, heart, hand, engaged. Goes to Philippi, meets Lydia. God softens her heart, opens her heart. She hears the word of God. She pays attention. She serves him head, heart, hand, engaged, and the cycle goes on. This jailer falls down before Paul. The presence of God is in this place, and I've seen the chains fall off of you. What do I do to be saved? Man, he knew in that moment the power of God was greater than anything, and he is, his heart was, was humbled to the greatness of God. He says, what do I do to be saved? And then what does the jailer do? He washes their wounds. He feeds them. The head, heart, hand cycle goes on. And so we look at this mission of God. Paul wasn't the prisoner. The jailer was the prisoner. He said, you experience freedom today. Because Paul's heart was in the mission. We've got a great opportunity in front of us as the church. And we can know what we need to do. But I want to ask this, is your heart in it? I want to show you one clip from Coach McGinty, and then we're going to close this thing out. Coach McGinty, what will Washington need to get back into this ballgame? Heart. I'm, I'm sorry? You gotta have heart. Can you elaborate on that? Miles and miles of heart. 
So where are you? Where are you? Are you engaged? You know, when we think about the mission of God, this isn't a game. The mission of God is people's lives and eternities are on the line. And we can know that we need to do something about it. And we can go do something, but our doing will grow weary unless our heart is in it. Jesus put his heart into the mission of redeeming us. So where's your heart? Does God have it? Some of you, let let me just, I'm just gonna get, can I just get brutally honest here for a minute? Some of you have grown up around the things of God and you know it but you've never experienced it. You've heard the stories and you can answer questions if somebody asks you, but nothing has ever stirred in your heart. And today, through worship, prayer, the power and the presence of God is here. I'm gonna ask you to offer your heart to him, maybe for the first time in your life. You may have been in church all your life, but you've never offered him your heart. And today's the day that for the first time your heart beats with the mission of the gospel, with the grace of Jesus Christ, with the forgiveness that comes through his blood and beats with a love for other people that makes us willing to sacrifice to see them saved. Let me pray. Father, we love you and we thank you We thank you that you have such a heart for us. And Father, I just, I invite you into this moment. I I ask you, Holy Spirit, as you are here, I'm asking you to stir hearts right now, to stir affections for those that have known it their entire life, but they've never surrendered their heart. I pray right now is that moment that for the first time, For the first time, you do as you said in Ezekiel 36, that you take that heart of stone and you remove it and you place that heart of flesh and it's your spirit that you put in that heart. Father, I pray right now for hearts to beat for the first time with your grace, with your mercy, with your forgiveness, with your redemption, with your life, with your love, with your hope. your heart in us. Help us to love differently so we live differently. Help us to love differently so we live differently so that everything we do is all for your glory and for your great name and to see those lives that desperately need the grace and mercy of Jesus to be transformed. Thank you for listening to this message from the Creek Church. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast, or if you have any questions, you can email us at info at